Now we're going to be beginning a new series of times in the Bible together and they're going to be all rooted in some learning and understanding that we gain from uh, quite a little book towards the, the back end of your New Testament written by Paul who wrote the book of Philippians as well that we've been in uh, just recently. Uh, this one was written to one guy by the name of Titus and that's what the letter is called just Titus and that's who it's written to and uh, we're going to be considering and various kind of understandings for us, things that can speak to our heads, our hearts, our, our ways of living, um, under the heading doctrine and devotion. Doctrine meaning the teaching, the, the learning of the church, and devotion very obviously. How does that look in the lives of people who have been so profoundly marked by the love of God that they just can't help loving those around them? I, uh, that sounds really great, but you might be wondering, well, why on earth does Pastor Greg want to direct our attention to this uh, slightly obscure, often overlooked little letter towards the back end of my Bible? I've got a couple of um, reasons as we begin uh, this morning. Uh, firstly, it's to realise, as the, the Bible itself teaches us, all the scripture, all the Bible is God-breathed. It's his very breath of life to us that we can live. It's God-breathed. It's the very word of God that so shapes our lives that we, we blossom and flourish according to the way that he has made us. Every little scrap of the Bible is worth your attention. In addition to this, I want to draw out something that is really, really helpful for us. You see, Jesus, when he said to his disciples, shortly before he was to be betrayed and crucified, before his death, in John 16 and verse 12, Jesus said, I've got so many more things to say to you. That's an intriguing prospect, isn't it? Well, actually, as the story unfolds, we see that Jesus, he rose again from the dead and meeting again with those disciples, he invested them for days and days and days more, all those many things. Now, the reality for us is we don't in that same way have Jesus stood next to us, talking to us. For us, those many things are to be found in the teachings of the scripture. From Romans to Revelation, we find those many things just as profoundly as if Jesus had spoken them to us. I want to urge you, encourage you, dive deep into what the Bible in the New Testament can teach you about the way of Jesus Christ. Here in Titus, the way of Jesus, just as if you were sat on a beach eating breakfast with Jesus. That's exactly it. Probably shouldn't mention beaches at the moment. You're all going to be desperate to be not on your couch and somewhere on a beach. But Jesus, he, he's with you just as profoundly. Now, in addition to all of that, I believe that God also has laid this short letter on my heart for this season as it contains so much of value for us in seeing how we can put our faith into action in a world that needs to hear and to see Jesus. Just hear and to see Jesus. Yes, the church. Yes, all of our good works. Yes, the things that we say. But Jesus, to see Jesus. And, and this is what um, these uh, beginning verses of the book that we're going to come to in just a moment are speaking to us that we can see our knowledge of the truth 
accord with godliness. Now, right now, we're going to restrict ourselves to just a few verses of Titus. So if you happen to have a Bible there with you, you're more than welcome to open it up to Titus chapter 1. And we're going to read the first four verses And if you don't happen to have one with you, well, you're in luck. This online environment, there's actually a little tab there so that you can open up the Bible and read along with us. Let me read the scriptures to you this morning. Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, he's our author. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, his chosen ones, and their knowledge of the truth. There is truth, good news, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I, that's Paul, have been entrusted by the command of God, our Saviour, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Saviour. It's warm, it's full, it's rich. These verses, uh, they're obviously uh, the introduction to a letter and it's a letter that's written from someone who who really loves the person who's going to receive this letter. It's not a textbook, it's not a manual, it's from a real person, the Apostle Paul, and it's written to a real person, Titus, and it's written from the heart, it's full of love, and it's full of wisdom, and it's for the benefit of this really special person, Titus. As we've read, Paul calls Titus my dear, sorry, my true child. It's really similar to a couple of letters he wrote to uh, someone called Timothy right next door to this one. And he he calls him my dear child. These are guys who, uh, they were like sons uh, to Paul. And this helps to set the scene because we're realising that the Christian faith, it's not just about somehow abstract notions of belief nor is it solely about personal religious devotion. No, it's about people in relationship with one another as disciples. It's about a family of faith, people encouraging one another in a shared relationship with God. And Paul's relationship with this guy Titus is one that we can find elsewhere in the New Testament. Uh, It shows that Titus is a convert to Christianity. He doesn't actually come from a Jewish background even. It comes from what they would refer to as a Greek background. It's a Gentile background. And he comes into the faith through Paul's ministry. And Paul, he feels a warm fatherliness toward him. In one instance, he protects him uh, from those who would want to load onerous and unnecessary necessary religious practice on top of the simple grace that he'd received from Jesus. You see that at the beginning of Paul's letter to the Galatians. And Paul's investment in Titus, it certainly bore fruit. He became a trusted lieutenant in the church and he serves with distinction and great heart in a number of missionary journeys and church contexts. Titus is mentioned no less than nine times in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians with great affection, great confidence. 
And he bears letters from Paul to the church there, sees their teaching well established. He's strong in his faith and quite willing to strongly apply the faith uh, to those who are in need. Uh, Titus, the Bible uh, tells us, had the same earnest care for the church as Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 16. And he served the church with, with that same earnestness, with much enthusiasm. And not because anybody laid this on him, but it was his heart to do so. That comes in the following verse there. I find it so helpful to see the work of God, the work of the church, the the whole of the gospel rooted in relationships at a time like this. I I think you probably will do too. Let Let me explain. We live in a time when many are yearning for those exact relationships and yearning for them in a new way. In an age of of social distancing, people are craving time and and the presence of family members and friends, even to just be with strangers in a crowded cafe or a cinema, for instance. There was, for a little while, a a well-documented desire to even rename this phrase from social distancing to physical distancing, so that at least mentally our well-being wouldn't be so badly affected by this separatedness of the season we're living through. Yet even in this season, relationships blossom. Think perhaps of the the neighbourliness which has sprung up again in many streets and communities, of the desire of so many to care for one another, uh, perhaps demonstrated on such a grand scale with three quarters of a million people signing up uh, for the National Good Samaritan Scheme. And then with every easing of the lockdown, whether it's for outdoor socially distanced gatherings of no more than six, or or whether it's single parents or or grandparents living on their own, soon to be able to connect up uh, with part of their extended family, there follows unconstrained delight at these new opportunities for things perhaps taken for granted in times past. Imagine the joy when you and when I can finally give friends a hug. Imagine the joy when we can finally meet all together as a church in the same place. There's an old story about a botanist who was studying uh, bell heather found in the Scottish Highlands. While looking through his microscope at the beautiful flowers, he was approached by a shepherd who asked what he was doing rather than trying to explain. The botanist simply invited the shepherd to look at the flower through his microscope. When the shepherd saw the wonder of the detail of the flower, he exclaimed, Oh God, and I've been trampling on them my whole life. (laughs) To take things for granted that are the meat and drink of the gospel. I think we do it. To take things for granted that are the very fabric of the world that God has made. The relationships, they are the gospel. The relationship of God come to this world to seek and to save you and me. 
The relationships of of these early saints, Paul, Titus, others, sharing this message of hope with yet more to carry on the work of the gospel. The relationship of you, perhaps, and whoever it was who first told you that Jesus loves you, that he gave his life so that you could live and and he wants to be your saviour. And then the relationships of us today, physically distant, but certainly joined together in hand and in heart by God's spirit. As we come now to worship together our loving God, why not pray for somebody in your church? Why not encourage them? Send them a text. Just go right ahead. Why not allow the nature of your God and these wonderful gospel men of the Bible to shape how we see those around us? So what are these gospel relationships for? What is Christian community all about? Well, in the the community that we're seeing here is a community of Paul and his God, a community then of Paul and Titus as they share together of Titus and his God, Titus sharing with the church, this church here on Crete that is growing also in faith of so many people, it's growing, it's, it's expanding, God's doing some incredible things and Our letter's introduction tells us that Paul is ministering and writing to bring those whom God has chosen to faith and to the knowledge of the truth. This is clearly important, beautiful work. And for such a task, Paul gives himself a job description, I guess, of sorts, something of a title. He describes himself as both a servant, in fact, the word more thoroughly means slave. So a servant, a slave of God is a title of great humility. And he calls himself an apostle of Jesus, which is a a title clearly of considerable authority, a slave of God. You know, we're supposed to realise that everything that follows comes from nowhere and nothing else. It is God himself who speaks because God is in control. You know, in a world of opinion, a world of self-appointed experts and and puffed up talking heads, it is really good news that in our Christian faith and Christian community, we get to go directly to God's authoritative word. And in this word here, we find Paul, who then describes himself as an apostle of Jesus. You know, we're intended to sit up and take notice even as if Jesus this morning had knocked on your door at 10.25 and he said, come on, make me a brew. And he sat down on the couch with you for church this morning. Social distancing doesn't apply to the Son of God. It's that kind of authority that is being spoken to us, that life that is coming to us here. So we pay attention because God wants to teach the ones, what's the Bible say? the ones he has chosen, his elect. Now, there is much more that can be said about that. It's for another time. But suffice in this moment to say this, God knows you. He knows you. I might not know everyone who's watching this, but God does. He has always known you and loved you. He has loved you enough to give his life to save you. He loves you enough to want to draw you to himself and to see you changed through grace to glory. He loves you. He loves you enough for all of these things. And I want to suggest to you directly from the words of scriptures, look, if you're putting your trust in Jesus, it is because he knew you, he loved you, 
loves you. He chose you from before the very dawn of time. Just let that sink in for a minute. It's powerful stuff. So what was the point of all of this again? Well, the point is this, faith and knowledge, which leads to godliness. Firstly, faith. There's simply no Christianity without it. It's not just about saying, oh, that's a nice story, or, oh, I can agree with some of those kind of principles for living. No, it's about faith in a real and true God. Without the faith that God gives us and then allows us to place in him. You know, the Bible says on one occasion, Galatians 6 and verse 10, that the the church is a family of faith. You and me, all of us, a family of faith of faith. And and talking of faith, Jesus spoke of both those who had little faith and those who had great faith. And there's the possibility of growth in faith. Paul, talking with the church um, that he wrote to, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 2, he talks thanking God for the growth of their faith. This is something that we can aspire to, something that we can experience. Faith Actually, it's a fundamental attribute of what it is to be human. People place faith in everything. That couch that Jesus is sat on uh, next to you, you placed your faith that it would hold you up uh, this morning. Placing one's faith in things is, is human. And placing one's faith in God is a fundamental attribute of what it is to be Christian. People put their faith in many things. Uh, Knowing the love and the grace and the power of Jesus, wouldn't you choose to place your faith in him? Now note also, there's a key word here, uh, entrusted, pistoio. Um, It it just follows on in, in what we're reading here this morning. Now the root there is the same as the word for faith. Similarly, to us having faith in God, so God, Paul says, has entrusted, he's, as it were, had faith in Paul to teach these things. I think that is, it's remarkable. I think that's really, really beautiful that this goes both ways differently, but it is complementary. God invites us to have faith in him. And then he, by his grace also, chooses to entrust in us, to have faith in us for his good purposes, to to entrust you. What has he entrusted you with? Uh, Think on these things and consider how you might live that out in your world. It's really beautiful. Now, just as faith is to grow, so the Bible is here teaching us that knowledge is to grow. We're supposed to read his word, talk about it together, study, allow the spirit to teach us. All of this is supposed to grow. Knowledge, it's not just about growing in, in your kind of trivia knowledge. Talking of trivia, did you enjoy the, the church quiz last Sunday night? I really did. I think we should do it again so I can win this time. Um, moving on. Uh, knowledge, it's not just about trivia. Knowledge is so that we can live lives of godliness. We know God more so that we can show him more. All of this, our faith, our knowledge, it's built upon a firm foundation of hope. Faith and knowledge leading to godliness is built on hope. It's 
built on hope and it's headed toward hope. What is our hope? And why is it something that is substantial enough to build your life on? How is the Christian hope more substantial than other hopes? We hope, don't we, that coronavirus this season will soon come to a close. We hope that we'll get to see one another soon. The hope that we have in God is even more substantial than that. We trust that those things will come to pass. We don't always know how or when. But the hope we have in God is sure and certain. And it is a hope of eternal life. It comes from one, Paul says, who never lies. God never lies. Look, he didn't lie when he said he would come to this world to seek and to find us and to save us. He didn't lie when he said he would give his own life for you and for me. He didn't lie when he said he would rise again from the dead. He did all of these things. We can trust him and we can trust that the trustable hope here is of a sovereign plan from the God who who promised eternal life before time began. That's just that's a mind melter, isn't it? God promised you would live for eternity with him before there even was such a thing as time. That's incredible. Look, later on in this letter, Paul is going to remark that the people from Crete, where Titus is going to serve the church, he says they've got a reputation for not telling the truth. Now, here's the contrast. God always does. He's shown it. He's demonstrated his trustworthiness. Time and again, we can trust him. Look, you today can grow in your faith in such a God. You today can grow in your knowledge of such a God. You today can grow in being like such a God, growing in your godliness. You today can grow in your hope in him for this life and the next. A noisy elevated train used to run through an area of New York City along 3rd Avenue. After it was torn down, many people in the neighbourhood began to call the police quite late on at night to report strange things occurring, as they described it, unusual noises, suspected thieves or, or burglaries in progress. The police determined that these new calls took place about the time that the late night train would have passed by these people's houses in times past. What they were hearing was the absence of the familiar noise of the train. They'd grown habituated to that particular noise and and they were going to need to become habituated to its absence. Habituation growing so accustomed to something that we no longer even realise that it's there. Now, I'm going to suggest to you, I I think it's pretty evident, that most folks in our culture, in our society, to this point perhaps at least, have grown habituated to a culture and a way of individualism. Even many folks in the church at large, we do our own thing. What's that? slightly ridiculous saying you do you Uh, utterly nonsensical it's so inadequate to be self-interested and entirely self-governed the idea of isolation it's it's manifestly inadequate especially um, in this season you know in a society now we live um, in a time where we've been forced to realize how much we need each other in this 
crisis phase that we've been in, that we continue in, a crisis phase of response and then recovery. So much has been achieved by the sacrificial and other-focused service of those in community with one another. And yet, as we head into what is more of a reconstruction phase, much of the world's response, societal response to the crisis, will simply seek to bolster, even expand individualism in response to fracture uh, community and society. Could there be a better way? In future weeks, we're going to talk a great deal more about the practical outworkings of faith and knowledge in and through community. But I'd like you to reflect upon one thing this morning, if we may. For many in our church, I know that this is a season that has allowed you, maybe indeed it's required you, uh, that this opportunity to invest in others, in one another. I know of cards and letters sent, of phone calls and socially distant driveway chats. I know of sweets and and cakes delivered, cakes baked, uh, dinners cooked. I know of groceries bought, medicines collected and countless other ways of being grace-filled and gracious toward one another. Look, if you've not gotten there yet, there's still time. There's a great need for those who will do more than look at themselves. A great need also for those who will do more than look at the needs or the problems or the difficulties of others. This world is far too full of commentators. Could you be a doer instead? I wonder if you heard the story about uh, that elderly small town lady who, on the way to the supermarket once morning, found that her car was giving her all sorts of troubles. She gets to the junction, stalls, and for the life of her, she can't get the car going again. Suddenly, this bloke in a flash car razzes up behind her at the junction and, with obvious agitation, starts sounding his horn over and over again. This poor old lady redoubles her efforts to get the car going. She's pumping the accelerator, turning ignition. No luck at all. And the man continues to honk that horn constantly and loudly. I I love in this story what the old lady did next. Very calmly, she gets out of her car, walks back to this flash car and indicates for the guy to lower his window, which he does. Politely, she then says to him, I'll make a deal with you. If you go and start my car, then I'll stay here and honk your horn for you. I love that. (laughs) The idea that commentary is not what is needed, but actually the simple doing and the invested nature of doing. This world is far too full of commentators, far too full of those who are quick to identify the problem and yet really don't want to get invested in solving the problem. When will you get stuck into relationship? When will you resolve to shape your life around being present with your brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus? When will you resolve to invest in one another above all the other competing demands of the world around you? That world that demands so much of you, it doesn't need more individuals desperately trying to accomplish more things in their own bubble of the world. No, no, no. That world needs the family of faith. It needs the church. 
What will it take for you, for me, for us to realise this biblical truth? Has a global crisis, a pandemic achieved this in you? Or do you need something more dramatic? If this season doesn't prompt you to throw yourself onto God's mercy and into the joy of his family, goodness, what will it take? In his letters, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this particular letter to Titus, he mentions actually around 40, 40 of his co-workers in the work of the gospel. You know, ranging from people like Titus or Timothy, who he knew so well and invested so much in, to others who, who merely get a, a passing reference. We know very little about them, but they still receive commendation, encouragement, instruction from Paul because he knew how important they were for what was going on. You know, for me, over this season, there's been much talk in church life about all of the technology that we use, Zoom and church online and Facebook and whatever it might be. And, and yes, these tools are really important. But the key learning for me has not been about the tools, but it's been about the people, those who have served so well to enable us to be the church and to do what we want to do in this season and going forward. Truth is, in the Apostle Paul's day, they had technology too. They had Roman roads and a reliable postal system and much more that enabled them. But Paul doesn't talk about those things in his letters. No, he talks about the people because he knew, I know, we should know, this is what really matters. What are you investing yourself in? It's got to be the people. It's got to be one another. It's got to be Christian community, brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe this will help you. I read this week something really interesting about Mother Teresa. She was once asked about how it was she could give so much of herself to others, particularly to the poor. And she would always say that when she looked at them, she saw Jesus, albeit in a distressing disguise. This is the heart of authentic community, of giving ourselves to one another. We're being Jesus to others and seeing Jesus in others. You know, in your marriages, your husband, your wife, when you look at your spouse, you ought to be looking at them and serving them, loving them as though unto Jesus. If you're a child, the call is to honour, to obey your parents as though you're obeying the word of Jesus in your life. If you're an employee, you're working as if working for Jesus. And those com complementary relationships come right back. A parent, you're parenting on behalf of Jesus. That's how we care for our kids. If you're um, leading in the workplace, you're leading or you're managing others as if you're leading for Jesus in his name. Well, what do you need for such relationships, such possibility, perhaps such challenge in relationship? Hints and tips? Well, they'll get you so far and, and do learn from one another. Read, grow, listen. But over that and, and through all of that, Christian relationships and gospel community need this, grace and peace. It's perhaps to be expected, but it's still worth noting that this is how Paul both begins and ends the letter. There's a lot of work and, and challenge and uh, encouragement to be found in between, but right at the beginning, Titus 1 verse 4, you see it at the close of that verse, offers the grace and peace of the Father and Jesus for Titus to be able to get things going. 
And at the close of the letter, Titus 3, verse 15, right at the very end there, we find this grace then being with you all. It's, it's in the whole church as the culmination of the letter comes. This is what marks and enables and controls, compels Christian community. I want to ask you, are you marked by the grace of God? His free gift of salvation, wondrous, beautiful, rich. You know, that grace is often sometimes described as, as God's righteousness at Christ's expense. That's a part of the picture. But there's more. This grace is the unmerited, unsolicited favour of God upon your life. It's free to us wondrously so yet not without immeasurable cost that Christ Jesus God himself should give his own perfect life on a cruel cross for you and for me what a price that Jesus has paid for us for us to be part of his family what a cost hmm. I wonder this is likely a season of considerable cost even pain for many in such a time, we, we might well be asking, what has COVID-19 taken from me? What have I lost because of a pandemic or a, a lockdown? Can we change that a little and ask our question in the way of the cross instead? That is, how has this season offered me the opportunity to die to self in new ways? How am I being less my sinful old self? and more the sinless character and conduct of Jesus? How am I being forced to think less of self and more of others? We can grow. Paul offers to Titus and the church on Crete that faith is to grow, so also knowledge that leads to godliness is to grow. And all of this is built on that hope that we hold. God is sure and certain. You, you can grow in him. As we come to worship now, we have this opportunity to share in communion that speaks of community, us together in Jesus. Please, in your homes, as we worship, go ahead and take the bread, take the cup, celebrate God. If you're not yet part of the family of faith, the community of God, now's the time. Don't delay. His love is real and true and it's for you. In this moment, you can respond to Jesus. Pray to him, welcome him, invite him in. And please let us know in, in the chat there and we would love to be praying with you right now. Let's dive deep into God's community of grace. God bless you. It's been such a great pleasure. Uh, to be able to spend this time together this morning. In a moment, I'm just going to invite God's blessing upon you as we go into our weeks. Just to remind you, make sure you keep that date, the 28th um, of this month in your diary, as we're going to be investing ourselves in caring for one another, our area, and those uh, that we're partnered with in the gospel. And do please, if you've not had the chance to uh, fill in the connection card, we'd love to help you connect. If you want to stay um, as the gathering draws to a close, receive prayer, talk with one another, you are more than welcome. God bless you. Let's pray together. And my prayer for you today is that the Lord would bless you and keep you, that the Lord would make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you that the Lord would lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now God bless you as you go. 
God bless you as you invest in relationship with one another. Do please check out those links in the meeting notes. We want to resource you. And uh, and we're looking forward to seeing you again soon in our Transform communities uh, and next Sunday as we continue. God bless.